mightiness because I, I don't think our brains are <laughs> I don't think we have the capacity to understand all that there is to God and yet he loves you he loves me he loved us enough to die for us the mighty one the one through whom all things were created and all things exist. <laughs> that is mighty. That is mighty. Man. Well, praise the Lord this evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. I am going to uh, give you a moment just to greet one another, those around you. Young people, I know you have other things that are on your agenda tonight, so we'll release you. We have got a, a message for you tonight that's going to take our whole time, and maybe a little more, so I hope, I hope you are perky and ready and awake. I'll try my best to keep you that way. We're going to begin uh, reading in Matthew chapter 25. Let me remind you too, you know, life is going to go on. <laughs> We've all had kind of a very centered focus on fusion fire and all that it was going to take to get that done. And man, oh man, I thank you for those who, who were able to pitch in and help with that. Um, I'm still recovering. I know there are others probably as well. Uh, things, though, will roll on again. Now we've got small groups that will happen on Sundays, and we've got men's groups that are coming in. Men's breakfast, I saw a notice on that coming up. So, you know, let's get back into the swing of things here at Visible Church. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 25, starting in verse 5. It says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Now this is a portion of the parable of the ten virgins. The parable that is a part of Jesus' teaching concerning the end times. He gave this message on the Mount of Olives during the week that led up to his crucifixion. Jesus had spent the day in the city of Jerusalem, and then he takes his disciples with him outside the city up to the Mount of Olives where they could overlook the city. And then he gave them this very long discourse on end time events, followed by a series of parables that apply to end time attitudes. The parable of the ten virgins talks about a wedding party, a wedding party that those who are waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. Now, the church as a whole is represented in Scripture, in the, in the Bible, of, as the bride of Christ. Right? Not, it's the church that's represented that way, not individuals. All right? The church as a whole. You can't personalize this. You, you can't say, I am the bride of Christ. No, we, we are the bride of Christ. The church 
as individuals, as individual members, however, are often portrayed as guests, guests at a wedding feast, right? For example, in the parable of the wedding feast that's found in Matthew 22, Jesus talks about guests and how they represent the church. So we, we are guests individually. But here in Matthew 25, in the parable of the ten virgins, the virgins are representing the church. Specifically, it is the believers at the time of the return of Jesus. Now, Jesus as the bridegroom is a, is a very powerful image that, that evokes a couple of themes that I want to talk about tonight. First, the romance of redemption, the romance of redemption, and then also his imminent return. The romance of redemption and his imminent return. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by your mightiness. We are humbled by your goodness and, and your grace. We are humbled, Lord God, as the bride of Christ, your, your body of believers awaiting your return. Lord, I pray that you in this message would, would just let a, a spark of excitement rise up in us for the things that are to come and, and for all of the things that you have done. Lord, I believe that you are going to return and sooner than we think. So Lord, let us be prepared. Let us, let us have our hearts in the right place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So I talk about the romance of redemption and the eminence of his return. Let's first consider the romance of redemption. I think that we are seeing in our society such unprecedented changes, not just here in America, but also around the world. It's a, I believe it's a turn for the worse in, in most every way. I mean, if you, well, I won't go into that. We'll be here all night. <laughs> many of the things, though, that, that are precious, many of the, the most treasured things that we have held throughout the ages are being abandoned and they're being spat upon. Past heroes are discarded because they can't pass the modern litmus tests that are presented today. And honestly, I, I couldn't pass these modern litmus tests either. <laughs> I would definitely be, be, be flunked and pushed aside because I do not fit into where the society is headed. But there is one interesting trend that for the most part, at least so far, I think has resisted the turn toward the worst. And I say that reservedly because I know there are some sliding in that direction too. But what I'm talking about over the last couple of decades, of superhero movies. So, you know, Superman and Spider-Man and Iron Man and, and all of those mans and women's too. <laughs> the super ones, right? I'm talking about those huge blockbusters where the bad guys rise up and then the good guys challenge them and in the end, the world is saved. It's exhilarating, it's inspiring, it's satisfying to the human soul. Why? Why? The reason that those films have become so popular is there is a longing within the, the human soul for the romantic. 
Even though the world seems to be on a fast track to, to full-blown atheistic hedonism, there is a hunger in our culture for the romance, for the romantic. Yes, even in this culture, there is that hunger. And when I say romantic or romance, I'm not talking about some gushy, emotional, chick flick type of story. What I mean when I talk about the hunger for romance is I mean people are wanting to be inspired by lofty and noble ideas and, and great and heroic causes. Even more so as Christians, we have a hunger for the romantic, for lofty and noble ideas and for these great heroic causes. Now I say even more as Christians because when we consider Jesus as our bridegroom, we are drawn to consider the romance of redemption. There are great worship events that take place here and around the world where leaders gather people from all over, tens of thousands of people at a time, not to hear some special speaker, not, not to... to learn something new they come together for not for a seminar they're just there to worship Jesus and now there's no shortage of conferences and seminars and workshops that will teach you anything you can think of under the sun but you know in the kingdom there is something better than learning that is loving now, I'm a great proponent of learning. One of my primary functions as your pastor is to teach. I know that God's people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? I believe in learning. I certainly believe in learning the scriptures. But there is something better than learning. And it's loving. Now, I, I believe you have to learn from the scriptures really how to love. But loving is really more important than learning. There is a higher calling. Somewhere in eternity, we may learn all that there is to know and, and cease learning. But we will never cease to be lovers. Right? No higher calling than to be a lover of him who loved us, the lover of our soul, and to love those whom he loves. So Jesus, as the bridegroom evokes this, this theme of romance through the redemption that he provided. Hallelujah. Now, the, the second theme that I want to focus on tonight, and maybe we'll spend more time on this, is that Jesus, our bridegroom, evokes in us the eminence of his return. The eminence of his return. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is contained and communicated in five basic events. Right? We have the virgin birth. The son of God becomes man. Hallelujah. Then we have his death on the cross. Where he paid for the penalty of, of our sin. And his resurrection on the third day where he demonstrated victory over sin and Satan and death and hell and the grave. Hallelujah. And then his ascension back to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father awaiting the time 
when his enemies are made a footstool under his feet. And then his glorious return. <laughs> when the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our Christ, where he rules and reigns forever and ever. The gospel is contained in, in those five things. The virgin birth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his glorious return. Four of those five things have already occurred. We are now waiting for the fifth one. The one that we refer to as the blessed hope of the church. You need to be getting excited about now. <laughs> See, it, it's what causes us as the church to cry out, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. We know he's coming. And as I mentioned earlier, there are these two themes that emerge when we consider Jesus as the bridegroom, the romance of redemption and his imminent return. Eminent is simply a word that means ready to happen. It's ready to happen. The Lord, his return is eminent. And when I say eminent, by that I mean, though there are many things that may happen before he comes, I don't believe there is anything that must happen before he comes. So what I'm saying is he could come tonight. He could come tonight. Now, whether we consider, when we consider, not whether, when we consider Jesus as our bridegroom, it is in the context of a Jewish wedding. A Jewish wedding as in the New Testament times that we read about in Scripture where the, the bride is promised to the bridegroom, but she doesn't know the hour that he will come to claim her. She knows the season, but she doesn't know the hour. This is always a favorite thing for me to teach on. For those of you who know Sarah and I, it's because our, our wedding was like that. <laughs> she did not know when we were getting married. She did not know the day. She did not know the hour. It was exciting stuff. But I don't have time for that story now. If you want to hear a great story about somebody being swept away in the middle of the night, well, talk to Sarah or I sometime afterwards. In fact, I, I'm, I'm, there's a, a friend of mine in Missouri who often watches our, our broadcasts live streaming. He was there. He's probably sitting at home going, yeah, I was there. I was a part of that. Well, anyway, <laughs> I digress. So, waiting for the bridegroom to come. That's, that is where we are. We don't know the hour. We don't know when exactly. We just have a sense of the season when the bridegroom will come and claim his bride. So we live with an expectation, knowing at any moment he could come. Now, I believe we are living in the hour spoken of in Luke 14, verse 17, where it says, all things are now ready. I believe that's where we are. All things are now. I believe that the table is set for the marriage supper of the Lamb and that we're just waiting for that trumpet sound. Well, in the parable of the ten virgins... Jesus reminds us of the, the romance of his redemption and the eminence of his return. But we're also told that the bridegroom was delayed. The bridegroom was delayed. That prompts a question. 
What can delay Jesus from coming to claim his bride? Only one thing can delay Jesus from coming to claim his bride. And that is the Father. The devil can't stop Jesus from coming, can he? Certainly not. Nothing else in all the universe can delay Jesus from coming except the Father. Remember, Jesus told us in Acts 1-7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. The one who determines when Jesus will come to claim his bride is the Father. Okay, the bridegroom has been delayed by the Father. So that brings us to the obvious follow-up question. Why was the Father delaying the Son? Why is he, he keeping him from coming to claim his bride? And the answer is given to us by the Apostle Peter who said this. This is in 2 Peter 3.9. He said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the reason that the bridegroom has been delayed is that the father has put his hand on the shoulder of his son and he says, hold off just a little more. Wait just a little bit because there are a few more that will be saved if we wait. There are a few more that will be saved if we wait. Now, you and I that belong to the bride of Christ... There, there is that Maranatha cry in our hearts and we long for that bridegroom to come and claim his bride. And we might have been very delighted if he would have come to claim his bride last year about this time. But I tell you, there are millions of people who got saved in the last year who are awfully glad he didn't. I'm awfully glad he didn't come Back in the, in the 60s, you know, following the movement, the Jesus movement. We're all seeing the movies that are coming out about that now. And we're all thinking about revival after Asbury. All, all of this stuff happens. And we think, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. And I'm thankful that it wasn't back then. Because then I would have been lost. I didn't get saved until the late, well, the early 80s. I was going to say the late 70s. Really, was the early 80s. There's a reason the bridegroom has been delayed. It's the result of a merciful heart of the Father who is saying, let's hold off just a little bit. Just a little bit. But let me tell you something. The Father will not delay forever. I am persuaded that he may not delay much longer. He may not delay much longer. During the, lay, the, the, the delay here, though, that we're told something else in Matthew chapter 25, verse 5. It says there, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. The word slumbered in the Greek there literally means to nod. Like, you know, to nod off. <laughs> like some people do in church. <laughs> See, sometimes we need a great awakening, right? <laughs> the, the Greek word there that is, is used for slept, that Greek word literally means to lie down. So you see a progression there. First, the, the virgins are nodding off. And, and, and then they're, they're tired of fighting it, and they just, they just lay down and they go to sleep. 
Well, there has been nearly a 2,000-year delay in the return of the bridegroom. And, and during that time, the church has often nodded off and, and often as well gone to sleep. And I think in the Dark Ages, they were just comatose. You know, <laughs> there was that period of time that just was barely alive. Let me ask you this. How many of you can say you grew up in a sleepy church? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, sleepy preaching, sleepy people. Sunday morning sleepy time. It was that way in many places. So here we have the virgins, the individual members of the bride of Christ, but they're nodding off and they're going to sleep. But at midnight, notice that in verse 6, and at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. There's a great awakening that takes place. Now, how many of the virgins does this scripture lead you to believe went to sleep? If you read it, it's all of them. All of them. But if there was a cry at midnight, somebody had to be awake. Somebody had to do the crying. Who was awake that was able to cry at midnight that would bring about the great awakening? It was the watchman. The watchman. There, there are watchmen that are awake. Right? Because there are always those who, even though others go to sleep, others nod off, others can't fight off the, the, the sleep, the fatigue, they can't seem to go on, there are others that climb up to the watchtower and they watch through the night, staying awake, Staying alert. They're the ones that see things approaching. And they're the ones who are able to cry out. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Who are the watchmen? They are the prophets. They are the intercessors. Look, look at Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62, starting in verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Did you hear that? We who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes. We're, we're not to give, it says here, not to give him, meaning the Lord, rest. That just means not that we're going to irritate him and agitate him and keep him awake. It means that we are going to continually go before him and continually give his word until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. I believe we should be watchmen. That we should not hold our peace in these last days. This is not meant to be a quiet little church, you know. <laughs> Day and night, there should be the sound of prayer. There should be the sound of praise and worship and teaching and preaching and, and evangelistic outreach. We should not be a quiet, sleepy little church. We should give him no rest in that sense that it's talking about here in Isaiah 22. We should give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem as a praise in all the earth. Jerusalem is a type of the church here. 
So the watchmen are the ones who proclaim Jesus is coming. Wake up. Wake up. Get ready. Don't be nodding off here. Don't think it's business as usual. This is no ordinary day. It's time to be sober. It's time to be serious. It's time to get right. And it's time to get ready. That's why I love to see revivals breaking out. Because people are getting ready. People are getting right. Hallelujah. It's time to gird our loins. It's time to make sure that our lamps are full. Well, how do you know it's that time? Well, like many of you, I've I kind of been praying. I've been, I've been reading my Bible. And I've been watching world events. Kind of putting them together. You know, when we read the scriptures and we spend time in prayer, it will take us up to a higher level. It'll take us up to, to a place where we can get a much better perspective. We might call that the watchtower. If all you do is read a few headlines and, and memes as you scroll through your social media account, well, you're, you're down at ground level. You, you, you can't tell the forest from the trees down there. You won't know what's going on. We need a higher perspective. When we get up high, we start getting a prophetic perspective. I keep an eye on Jerusalem. I mean, just as, you know, the, the, the kind of half-baked <laughs> watchman that I might be, I keep an eye on Jerusalem. I mean, after centuries of being trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, it has now been redeemed and is in control again by the Jewish people. And, and that is a sign. That is a biblical sign. Jesus said, when you see that happen, you're going to know that that generation will not pass away until these things are fulfilled. Israel was established as a nation in 1967. That was a very big event. That was a very important event. I also have to keep an eye on, on Europe because I know there are ten toes that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about, right? Belonging to the feet of iron and clay that are just starting to wiggle. I'm watching the ten horns that belong to the beast that will begin to, to sprout up. These are things that the Bible tells us about. We have to be in the Word. We have to be watching and reading and paying attention to world events and what's happening around us if we want to be watchmen. I'm reading Matthew chapter 24 about wars and rumors of wars, about famines and earthquakes and pestilences. I'm not the only one that's seeing these things. In fact, I'm more influenced by, by those who are much more astute as, as watchmen than I am myself. And I hear them crying out loud, Behold, Jesus is coming. Wake up. Get ready. Actually, the cry of the watchman is, is two parts. Back to Matthew chapter 25, when we look at verse 6. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. First, the bridegroom is coming. Then we go out and then we meet him. It means that when we see the signs of the time of Jesus coming near, we should get ready. The Bible says that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. But 
that thief in the night description is only really for those who are not ready. In Revelation 3.3, Jesus said, If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Give you a second to get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting right in verse 1. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. See, the day of the Lord is a period of God's judgment upon the world gone wrong. It's first spoken of by Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 2, and then it's resounded again throughout the Old Testament by the prophets. The day of the Lord is something that you want to escape, all right? It's also spoken of as the tribulation. But if we go on, verse 2 again, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, for when they, notice it says they, when they say peace and safety and sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. They shall not escape. But then notice here in verse 4. But you, notice the change from they, talking about unbelievers, to you. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. <laughs> we kind of have an idea what's happening here. We are not in darkness so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Being sober doesn't mean that you have to have a, a droll and somber demeanor. We can be joyful and have fun. But it does mean you better be serious about the things of God. Be serious and not be playing around. Verse 6 again. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 25 and continue on with the versions. Verse 7. Verse 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. That word arose is the same Greek word that is also translated as awake in your Bible. As in Romans 13, 11, where it says, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's also in, in Ephesians 5, 14 that says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Same word that's used as arise or arose in verse 7. This is the way it will be. 
Those, they arose, they rose, those virgins, they awoke, they trimmed their lamps. And I believe prior to the return of Jesus, there will be a great awakening. And I believe it's most strongly going to be felt in the church. I do believe that the church is asleep in many ways. The church has not been serious about their relationship with the Lord. The church is going to be, be revived and cleansed and lead many, many thousands to the Lord in those very, very last days before Jesus returns. Prior to the return of Jesus, you watch for the great awakening. And, and you know, Asbury was great. That's not the great awakening. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's going to sweep the world, not just this nation even. And in fact, I, I am somewhat fearful that we will see only the, the small end of that great awakening because I believe that, that well, I, I can't go on and on. Or can I? No, I won't. <laughs> I could, but I, I will be kind. <laughs> Jesus has been waiting to come, I tell you. He is waiting. But the Father has delayed him. The season of delay is about over. In my mind. And the prophets in the watchtower, I think they can see the signs of it. I think, I think they will be the ones who even louder will lift up a cry. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Are we ready for it? No, we're not. But, <laughs> but that's what this message is about. We need to become ready for it. We need, once again, to shake ourselves a little bit. We need to revive ourselves. I, I, you know, I I'm often like to quote Andrew Womack who once said, If you want to see revival, go out and revive someone. <laughs> if you want to see revival, revive yourself. Revive your, start working on you right now. You know, we all can get a little complacent. We all can become somewhat sleepy, nodding off. Some just lay down and go to sleep. But that's not this church, right? No, we are going to rise up. We are going to be those who are praising and worshiping and praying, fellowshipping, and spreading the good news. In Jesus' name, I say, let it be done. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to pause there until the next time I get to preach. Next week, I'm not going to be preaching. Somebody else will. Oh. <laughs> now the, let the guessing begin. <laughs> All right. God bless you. Thank you for coming out tonight. If you'd like prayer, come on up. We'd be happy to pray for you. And obviously, you know of others here that are faith-minded folks who would be more than willing to join their faith.